You can have a seat. You want to grab your Bible, turn to Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. If you were here last week, then you know that we started a new emphasis that we will be carrying for the next seven weeks on prayer. We are trying to unlearn and relearn how to pray. We need to unlearn how to pray because we have picked up, I think, some powerless habits, some things that you do in prayer that uh, don't bear any kind of fruit. And we want to unlearn uh, those bad things, those negative things, those unfruitful things. And we want to relearn how to pray and to pray effectively because that's what we are all after. Uh, We want to pray and we want prayer to work. And so we are emphasizing prayer the next seven weeks. And here's what we are asking you to do. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Uh, It's what I'm doing. It's what our staff is doing. It's what our leaders are doing. However many minutes or hours a week you pray during a week. So if it's five minutes, if it's 30 minutes, just total. All the times that you turn your attention and make your request to heaven. However long that is, that for the next seven weeks you would add on an hour. So if you normally pray a sum total of five minutes a week, there's no judgment, we all have to start somewhere, then for the next seven weeks, would you please pray for an hour and five minutes? If you pray an hour a week, the sum total of all your prayers, then please for the next seven weeks pray two hours a week. Um, Because prayer is what God has ordained to move Him. You know, we don't move God based on our words or based on our approach to Him. We move God because He has said, I will be moved. I will respond to your prayers. That doesn't mean that we get everything that we want, but God will respond to your prayers. So if our prayers can move heaven, then we should pray and probably pray more than most of us are. And so that's what we're doing. Uh, 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 Not too long ago, I was in a store with Jackson, who's seven years old, and and we were walking through the store. It was very crowded. And he was asking for something. And it wasn't a bad thing to ask for, but I was powerless to give it to him. It wasn't a matter of will or desire. It just, I couldn't give it to him. There's no way that I could deliver to him what he was asking for. And so I told him, you know, there's nothing I can do about it, you know. And he's like, well, I'm going to pray. I'm like, well, that's, that's fantastic, man. I was kind of skeptical that even if he prayed, God was going to give him this thing. But he said, I'm going to pray, and I'm trying to be a good father. So I'm like, that yeah, sounds good to me. And so we keep walking, and about 50 yards kind of down the main route of the store, I turn to say something to him, but he's not there. And I turn around, and way back where we were having the prayer conversation, Jackson has stopped to fold his hands and bow his head and pray in the middle of the store. He was believing that if he prayed that God would give him the thing that he was asking for. And so he stopped right there to pray. So we are taking prayer seriously. um, And that's what we are asking you today. To just take it seriously. Most of us don't. Most of us give lip service to prayer, but we don't actually pray. We have a lot of things that we want from God, and they stay on a list somewhere in a notebook or in our mind, but, but none of us are really asking for those things. Maybe if something really traumatic comes to you, or a big thing, or a big opportunity, then you will pray. But just the God's honest truth is most of us are not praying. And then we turn around and, be, and we're like, where is God in my life? Why won't you do this for me? Why did you let this bad thing happen to me? 
Because our desires somehow never get translated into actual requests. All of us are willing to pray. So asking you to pray for an extra hour and asking me to pray for an extra hour in this room sounds like a phenomenal idea. Yeah, that sounds great. Only if your heart is hard will are you right now then like, no, I'm not doing that. Most of us are like, yeah, I'm going to try to work that in. And yet if I did a show of hands of how many really took the request seriously last week, Not very many of us, maybe even me, would be able to raise our hands. Because it's easier to wish than it is to pray. It is of absolutely no cost to you or I to desire things from God. Doesn't take any time, doesn't take any willpower, doesn't take any mental strain. But prayer is toil. Prayer is hard work. But prayer is what moves God. And if you want God to move in and around your life, you have to pray. God is not Disney. He does not promote wishes. But he will be moved by prayer. And so we are taking prayer seriously. And as a part of that, we are walking through the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer that Jesus gave us. So if you take your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 6. If you'll stand to your feet, we're going to say it together just like we did last week. And we're not just going to say it together, we're going to pray it together. We're really asking for these things and we're really believing things. So with the kind of faith that you would bring to prayer, let's pray this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. You can have a seat. So last week we started with our Father. And what we saw was that God has given us the ability, the right to approach Him as sons and daughters, that we don't come to God in prayer as slaves or servants or peasants. We come as children. And God listens to us as a father, a good father would listen to a son, or a good father would listen to a daughter. And because He is our Father, it means that you can pray with perseverance. So those things that you desire, you can keep praying for those over and over and over and over again. Jesus encourages us to pray with persistence. Persistence, Because he's our father, you can um, know that your prayers are welcomed by God. He never wants you to stop praying. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. He always wants to hear your voice in prayer. Because the scripture tells us in Revelation that your prayer is like a fragrant aroma to him. It's incense to him. It is a good thing to him. So, Uh, We don't pray just out of duty. We are praying to a father who wants to hear from us, which is great news. So last week was our father in heaven, and this week is hallowed be your name. And we're just going to start so simple this morning. God has a name, which I know is so simple. But when was the last time you really thought about the fact that God has a name? 
Now, we refer to him as God, and, and that's good. That's what's revealed to us in Scripture, um, among many things. Uh, but God has so many different meanings to it in our culture. Based on your own expectations and own experiences, you are bringing a lot to the table when we go to define God. I think God is this, or I think God is that, or you know, a good God would do this or that, or this is what a, a high-powered deity would be like. We're bringing all of that experience and all that thinking to the table when we say the word God. And the same thing when we say the word Father. All of us have had a father. He may not have been a good father. You're bringing that to the table. Some of us have had amazing fathers. You're bringing that to the table. Uh, some fathers are gentle and kind. Some fathers are mean and harsh. Some fathers are distant. Some fathers are close. We're bringing all of that thinking to the table when we think about God as a father. And so many of the ways that we uh, talk about God are really just descriptions of his character. But it's important to remember he actually has a name. And somebody with a name has a will of their own. Somebody with a name defines who they get to be. So we don't define God and bend God's characteristics and bend his personality around our own expectations. He has a name. And he's revealed that name to us. And when Jesus says, hallowed be your name, everyone who is listening to Jesus in the first century knows exactly what name he is talking about. He is talking about the name uh, Yahweh. I want you to just say that with me. Yahweh. Uh, you may have heard it uh, said a different way, Jehovah. And the name Yahweh uh, comes from Exodus chapter 3, when God reveals himself to Moses. We talked about this story not too long ago. God reveals himself to Moses out of a burning bush. You're with me? And he says, I want you to go and I want you to rescue my people out of, out of slavery in Egypt. And Moses, he's uh, fearful. And so he kind of brings up some questions. And he says, well, what happens if I get to your people and I say, hey, you're supposed to go with me. I'm, I'm going to free you out of, of slavery. And they want to know what your name is. What should I tell them? And God says, uh, tell them, I am has sent you. And so that phrase, I am, or I am that I am, in their Hebrew language is how they uh, came up with the name Yahweh or Jehovah. And that name is used all throughout the scripture. Now, based on you know, your English translation, you may not be seeing that name all the time in the scripture. Because by the time that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the name Yahweh or Jehovah was so revered by the Israelites that they kind of refused to say it. It was so holy to them that they didn't want to say it out loud. And so they began to use a lot of different other substitutes for that name. So in the spirit of that, many of our English translations don't write the name Yahweh or Jehovah. They write the name Lord with all capital letters. And I want to show you an example of that. So take your Bible, turn to Psalm 116. Now we're going to have it up on the screen, but it's not going to have all of... Uh, what I want to show you, it's not going to use all capitals for the word Lord like your Bible would because computers are not as good as the Bible. If you don't own a Bible or the one you own is not, uh, not easy to read, we have a bunch out on the table out there. Just feel free to take one. Uh, nobody will blink an eye about that. If you know somebody who needs a Bible, uh, take them. Um, they're great Bibles. They're ones that I would be proud to own. In fact, may have even stolen one from here uh, once or twice. Uh, so if you don't have a Bible, uh, then you can get one on your way out because if you were looking at a Bible, you would see in verse 1, it says, I love the Lord. And in the scripture, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Again, it's not that on the screen in front of you, but that means it's the name Yahweh or Jehovah here. It's not just Lord as a description of who God is. It's his name. 
I love the Lord. Or it could be, I love Yahweh or Jehovah because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. There it is again, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. So all of those instances that it says Lord in our English translation, what it's really saying is Yahweh or Jehovah, reminding us that God has a name. Which means we're not just praying to a deity, praying to a person with a personality, with a will, who can interact with us. He has a name, and his name should be hallowed. Keep your finger in Matthew chapter 6. The, the word hallowed is not you know, that used that often in our culture. In fact, I'm guessing most of us are only familiar with that word based on two instances. One here in the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be uh, thy name, uh, and when it was used by Abraham Lincoln in the Gettysburg Address. Now, I don't know if you have the Gettysburg Address still memorized, uh, but somewhere in the recesses of your mind is the word hallow or hallowed because he used it when he gave his address. Uh, Really, that... um, Context helps us to understand what the word hallowed means. Uh, if, if you wanted to, you could drive to Pennsylvania today or uh, fly. It would be faster. Uh, you could go to Pennsylvania to see the actual battlefield there at Gettysburg. And when you drove up, you actually make your first stop at a visitor center uh, of the national park there. And there's a museum in there. And that's where you buy your tickets and kind of you buy your access into this national park to see the battlefield. So from there, you can get back in your car or you can take a shuttle that will actually take you down to the actual battlefield. Now imagine with me what the ride from the visitor center of the Gettysburg battlefield to the actual field itself is like. I'm guessing that on your drive to the actual field, there's not a lot of joking and laughing and cutting up and telling of frivolous stories. You can imagine being on a shuttle that would take you down to the field. There would be some conversation close back up to the visitor center. But the closer you get to the actual field, you can imagine in your mind the the conversation starting to stop. And it getting more and more and more quiet as you get to the actual field. Why? Because all of us instinctively know that there should be some reverence when you get to a place like that. That 51,000 people lost their lives right there in front of you. And you know that that ground is hallowed. You know that there's something sacred about that place. It's different than all the other places that you might visit that day. That's what it means to hallow God's name. When Jesus said, hallowed be your name, it means that when we pray, there's reverence to our prayers. Now that feels like it's at odds with what we talked about last week when we talked about our Father who is in heaven. I mean, when you talk about God as our Father and we are His sons and we are His daughters and He responds to us and He loves us and He cares for us, man, that feels good. 
That's like a warm blanket you want to put on no matter what's going on in your life. That is comfort to us. It feels warm. But then you, you go over here to just the next line in Jesus' model prayer. And hallowed be your name or holy be your name. And we're talking about reverence. That feels cold. That feels like God is not close. He's far away. It's hallowed. It's sacred. It's, it feels like it's at odds with a father. And so there's this conflict in our souls. You know, which God do we want? Do we want this holy God who has a hallowed name? Or do we want a, a loving, kind father? And basically, depending on your experience and personality, you will tend to drift to one side or the other. Those of us who have a, a checkered past, to say the least, we want that merciful father. And we're going to gravitate towards that. Those of us who have feel, feel like we've done it perfectly all the time and we look down at scorn on other people because of the mistakes that we make, then we get all revved up with reverence and holiness and awe and wonder. In fact, you won't meet very many people who are able to carry a full picture of God, that He is a merciful Father and His name should be revered. In our humanity, most of us are just able to carry one of those thing, two things. But Jesus, he jumps in here and he says, no, it's both. It's our Father in heaven and it's hallowed be your name. We want to come with a full understanding. So we come to God as Father. But we come knowing exactly who our Father is is with a full understanding when I was in college I heard for the very first time in a sermon or a book I really don't remember that it was okay to tell God that you were angry with him and uh, Micah mentioned just being able to to express our full feelings and uh, that's totally true and you see that in the scripture the psalmist is is pouring out his honest opinions to God, pours out his complaints, and, and uh, um, you know, you have Job, and, and he's being very honest with God, so there's more than uh, enough room uh, for us to bring our honest feelings before God, but it, it was in college, it was the first time that I heard it was okay to tell, you know, God that you were angry with him, and, and I was in college, and if you're in college, there's no offense to you, but sometimes college students can kind of take things to extremes that are not healthy and good, and that's exactly what I, I did. So I just kind of worked that into my prayer life, into the way I thought about God. So I just got into a little mode where I was always expressing frustration with God, even if it was big frustration or small. The problem was I, I took it a little too far. So I would start telling God, you know, hey, I didn't want any homework this week, and I, I thought I was going to have a free uh, weekend here, but on Friday, my professor, you know, loaded us up, and God, I'm really angry with you that you allowed that to happen. I remember one time my paycheck was not quite as big. I had a part-time job. My paycheck was not quite as big as I was expecting it to be. And, and so I had no problem telling God, hey, I'm frustrated with you. I'm, I'm angry at you because I wanted X amount of dollars and I, you know, only got this amount of dollars. Forget that, you know, I didn't work enough hours to get X amount of dollars, but I was hoping that a miracle would happen. And I'm frustrated with you and I'm almost angry with you that you didn't let that, uh, you know, happen. I didn't get more money. And, and so I, I kind of lived in this mode where I was just free to just vent my anger and frustration to God about all kinds of things. 
And so Amanda and I were dating long distance, and one time on the phone, I was bringing up just about how angry I was with God about something frivolous. And uh, Amanda was, is very tactful and sweet and gentle, and, and so she didn't say it like this. You can imagine it much more flowery. But what I heard was, um, shut up, and uh, shut up, and be careful. Shut up and be careful. Now, I was speaking to God in a way that I would not have even spoke to my parents. I was speaking to God in a, in a way that I would not have spoken to my professors. I was speaking to God in a way that I would not even have the audacity to speak to a total stranger. And so sometimes we need to remember there is a reverence and a holiness that should be worked into our prayers. That's where the word holy essentially means. It means if you came upon a big pile of things and you were digging through that pile and you saw something in that pile that was of, of great value compared to the rest of the pile, you would pull that thing out of the pile and you would separate it. That would, that's what it means to be holy. It means that they're, they're, to be withdrawn from something that's common, it, it means to be separate. And you're going to have a lot of conversations this week. You're going to have conversations with your family. You're going to have conversations with your friends. You're going to have conversations with your neighbors. You're going to have conversations with your coworkers. You're going to have conversations with clients uh, and customers. Uh, you're going to have a lot of conversations, and hopefully somewhere along the way, you're going to have a lot of conversations with God. But what you and I need to remember is those conversations with God, they're different than all the other conversations that we're going to have. They should be withdrawn. They're other than. They are distinct from all the common conversations you and I are going to have. When it comes to prayer, there should be a reverence there. Are we afraid to pray? Absolutely not. But a familiar reverence. I'm praying to a father who has infinite love for us, who welcomes us. But we need to know what our father is like. We need to know that he is our father, but his name is hallowed. And the great thing about God, this is just the goodness of God, is you know, he's not just content to be holy apart from us, to be hallowed apart from us. He invites us in to that holiness. I want to show you a picture of it. Exodus chapter 19. Take your Bibles and turn there. is Moses and the people of Israel. God has rescued them out of slavery in Egypt. And he brings them out into the wilderness and he's going to live among them. He's going to be there, present with them. And so this is a part of his being present. Verse 16, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now, I don't know if you know anyone who 
is afraid of storms, who, who doesn't like storms. Um, I doubt very many of us would be those tornado chaser people. You know, usually we are taught that when you see a storm coming, lightning, thunder, high wind, you run away from the storm, you move away from the storm, and there's a storm on Mount Sinai because of the presence of God. And the people of Israel are actually moving closer to it. It says, verse 8, Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. And the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. So there's a storm on top of the mountain, lightning and thunder, and there's earthquakes going on, not because the foundations of the earth are shaking under natural circumstances, but because of the presence of God. This is ground zero of the glory of God. Verse 19, and as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. Now you may try that this week. God, I don't know whether this is a yes or a no. So one thunder for yes, two thunders for no. But God is speaking and responding in thunder. Verse 20, and the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up. Now that sounds so spiritual, doesn't it? There's a storm, thunder, lightning, earthquake, fire. And it says God calls Moses up and he goes up. Now, just we spiritualize that. Like, oh yeah, of course, God's going to call you up in the middle of a storm and a great fire and a great earthquake. I, I guess you're going to go, but, but would you go? I mean, if you were Moses, would you have had to think about it for a second? Every natural instinct in you tells you to run away from all the things that you're seeing, the thunder, the lightning, the fire, the earthquake. But God calls him up into it. This is prayer. Prayer is God inviting you into his space. You're like, well, yeah, well, no lightning and thunder show up when I start praying. Yeah, that's the grace of God. It's the grace of God that there's not a storm every time we turn our head to heaven. And God has given us something much nearer than a storm. He has given us his very own spirit, not just to be around, but to be in us. And it's the same God who invited Moses into this holiness that invites you into prayer. I mean, that's what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 6. Hopefully you kept a finger there. Look what he says in verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is God's invitation to you into his space. When you go into your room and you shut the door and you begin to pray, it's Moses going up on the mountain. When you wake up before the rest of your house and you come to your dining room table with a notebook and the Bible and your open heart, you're going up on top of the mountain. When you put your headphones in and you're getting ready to do your walk and you're going to pray as you walk, that's Moses going up on top of the mountain into the holiness of God. When you wake up and you get out of bed and you immediately hit your knees right there and you dedicate your day to God as in its, its infant moments, that's Moses going up on top of the mountain. 
Because our God is not just content to be holy from a distance. He invites us in to that holiness. That you're welcomed in. And notice how short the Lord's prayer is. I mean, it takes us 10 seconds probably to to say it, to speak it, to pray it. And look what Jesus says in verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Catch this, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So Jesus is telling us, when you pray, you don't have to fill up the space with all kinds of words, which is great because it leaves room for reverence. Leaves room for us to remember, oh, I'm in the presence of a holy God in this space of prayer. You know, if you're anything like me, and I think you probably are, we are natural born problem solvers. We are solution oriented people. And probably if, you know, we presented a problem here this morning, we would have, you know, 450 different ways to get around that problem, to overcome that problem. We're just solution-oriented people. We don't like long conversations that there's not a solution at the end. And we're just solution-oriented people. And, um, and then depending on how strong of a person and personality you are, some of us communicate those opinions and solutions like they're the only solution. That's usually what I do. It gets me in a lot of trouble. Like, for example, when I was in my early 20s, I was working at this church and I had three uh, people on our team. We were all equals and kind of we were peers and uh, the, we had given this, these couple of projects. And so, you know, when you're doing a project, all kinds of problems come up. And, and I was in heaven because I'm a solution-oriented person and I like to communicate my solutions like they're the best solutions in the whole world. And if you don't think your solutions are the best in the whole world, then there's maybe something wrong with you and I could probably think of a solution for you, you know. And, and, and so all summer long, you know, just given solution after solution after solution and, and my personality, I'm giving it real strong, right? So at one time, halfway through the summer... Another problem comes up and immediately I'm on it with a solution. Well, we got to do this. This is answered. And I communicate it with probably a little bit more strength and confidence than needed to be there. And, and one of the uh, young women uh, who was a friend and is still a friend who was there uh, with uh, us after that solution came out of my mouth with such strength, she looked at me and then she began to cry and yell at me. I had literally uh, driven her to tears with my bossiness. You know, I don't know if you know somebody like that. Just always has the right answer. You probably do. And to somebody, you are probably that person. Because we're solution-oriented people. Which gets a lot done here, but it kind of ruins prayer. Because sometimes, when I make my requests to God, when I'm asking for things, I'm not just presenting the request, I'm presenting Him the solution. Well, God, this is the deal, and I think this is what needs to happen. And, you know, will you please do this and this and this and this and this and this? And then we can kind of solve this problem. So a lot of times I present the request and the plan to accomplish the request at the same time. And because of my personality, and this may not be you, this may just be me, sometimes I'm so confident in my plan and my solution that in my heart, the depths of my heart, in the back of my mind, I end up coming to God, not as a son or as a daughter, but as a co-problem solver. That we are somehow peers in this relationship. I'm the brains and he's the brawn. 
And if I had the power, I would have done it myself, but I don't have the power. I got the plan and I got the solution and here's exactly what needs to happen. Now, can you just make it happen because I'm kind of helpless when it comes to that. And we end up praying to God as peers and co-problem solvers. But what does the scripture say? It says, God opposes the proud. Stiff arms the proud right out of his presence. And I wonder how many times I presented a genuine request, but because I was so confident in the plan, my request got pushed out of the presence of God. Because I came as a peer, as a co-problem solver. And not as a son. And not as a daughter. So what I need to do is when I close my door or when I put in my headphones or when I get down at my dining room table or I get beside my bed, I need to leave the plan behind, the solution behind. And just bring faith. Listen, God has never once been moved by a solution that was presented to him. You've never thought of a plan so great that when you presented it to God, God from out of heaven said, oh my gosh, that's the most unbelievable solution I've ever heard in my whole life. I wasn't going to answer your prayer uh, for a lot of different reasons, but I wasn't going to answer it. But that solution is just so mind-blowing that I'm now going to do that for you. Not once has that ever happened. Why? Because everything that he does is a solution. God can do it the easy way, and he can do it the hard way. He can do it the possible way, and he can do it the impossible way. And he doesn't have to exert any extra effort to do it the hardest way. So presenting him solutions are nothing to him because he is always a solution. But what he is moved by is faith and trust. So when Jesus says, keep your words few... God's not moved by all the things that you say. It reminds us, oh yeah. Oh yeah, this is not a normal conversation. This is not a common conversation that I'm having right here. This is not talking to a peer or a co-worker. His name is Hallowed. And he can move in secrecy. And he can move in a storm. So I'm just going to bring faith and not solutions. And that would be enough, man, that would be enough for God to be holy. And not just to be holy, but to invite us into that holiness, to welcome us in, to call us up, to invite us to close the door behind us, to pray in secret. That would be enough, but he takes it a step further. He doesn't just invite us as sinners into his holiness, he actually makes us holy. I want you to turn quickly to Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 10, it says, And by that will we have been sanctified or made holy, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. You know, many of Paul's letters, the Apostle Paul's letters, refer to Christians, you and I, followers of Jesus, as saints or holy ones. And here it says we're made holy. 
through the offering of the body of Jesus. Because Jesus died on the cross, he made that offering. We are holy. Prayer is the holy one and his holy ones speaking together. And because it's the holy one with his holy ones, prayer is not an ordinary conversation. It's distinct. It's set apart from all the rest. And it makes the fact that he is our father all the more unbelievable. That a God who can move in the storms, who comes around a mountain with fire and causes earthquakes would not just relate to us as God, but as sons and daughters. So this week we are praying, our father in heaven, we know exactly who you are. And you are holy. Let's pray. Father, we recognize that you are distinct. You're not like us. And your uniqueness. is awe-inspiring. We thank you that you call us up. That you don't want us to just stand at the base of the mountain and watch. You invite us in to secret places with a holy God. And so we have reverence for prayer. We know we're not heard by our many words. So we just bring our reverence today and our faith and our trust. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to transition to our time of prayer as we do every week. If our prayer and ministry team will come and take their places, why don't you stand to your, to your feet with me this morning? So we're going to pray now as we do every week. And you may have come with a request today. A request may have been stirred up in you as you've been here. Maybe you you need a little bit more closeness from God. You've been feeling disconnected and you want to reconnect in a meaningful way. Come and pray. Maybe you've, you've got something that's heavy on your heart, a burden that you've been carrying for quite some time and you just want, you want Christ to come and carry that burden with you. Uh, come and pray. Maybe you care about somebody and they, uh, uh, their life is not going the way that you had hoped or even maybe they had hoped and you want to pray for them. Come and pray. Maybe you want to come and pray for our country. Maybe you want to come and pray for our state. Whatever your need is, whatever stirred up in you, come and pray and, and come with faith because we're not just praying to just anybody. We're praying to a God who has a name and whose name is Holy. So Holy Father, make our prayers effective now. I pray that we would offer them with great faith. In Jesus' name.